Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. Today we start a brand new history in the Church of the Nazarene at Champion. It is not something that is just me, it's not something that is just you, it's something that is God. I cannot tell you or begin to go into it all with you, the miracles that is an absolute, absolute affirmation of that God chose this time and this place and this part of each of our histories, both Kieran and I as well as y'all. Boy, that was Kentuckian. In the words of an eighth grader, get over it. We'll get used to it, okay? Uh, in the words for y'all, this is where God has this church and us. And I'm going to also be very transparent if it sounds too vulnerable. Okay. We feel very honored that y'all would choose us. It was a long process as the, uh, as the uh, leadership team, i.e. the board, knows. That is not something that is done lightly. It is not something that is done quickly. It is something that is done meticulously, laboriously, and intentionally. And so we revel in that, and we want to thank you for allowing us to do this. Karen will be here for Easter for the installation, and then she will be moving here um, with all the rest of our stuff uh, in June after her, her contract is over, and we will be going back and forth. So Pike Pass will love us, but at any rate... But that's okay, because we are called to be here. Those who know me know I am a student. They know I am a believer in three main topics of preaching. By way of introduction, those three things are this. First and foremost, holiness. I just happen to be believing that the Word of God calls us to a life of holiness. I want us to understand that God, through the Bible, tells us that He is holy, and we are to be holy as He is holy. From the very beginning of the beginning of the beginning, God's holiness reverberated throughout time, and then He, in His holy presence, created the earth. As He laid down the law, one of the things that He kept saying multiple times in the early days of the law was, Be holy as I am holy. That passage is reverberated and restated as it says in the scriptures, be holy for I am holy from Peter's writings. There is something else that I focus on in my preaching, and this has a very widespread way of application, and I'm glad it does, but it's called discipleship. I just believe that if people say that they are believers in Christ, and if they say that they are people who follow after Jesus, we should be disciples of Jesus in every way, shape, and form. And that is a lifelong journey, I understand, but it is still a journey and a commitment. And the third thing that I believe in is revival. As I have interacted with many of you on the phone, as well as in person, as well as, as well as, as well as, I'm excited. I am humbled. I am broken. I am needy. But I'm all of that because this church wants something new, going into a new time. My passage for the, my ministry for this year has been, do you not see it? I am doing something new out of Isaiah. 
And that is my motivation verse for this year and probably into next year. I'm expecting God to do great things in us, with us, from us, and through us like never before in the life of this church. There will be discipleship, there will be training, but I would expect and hope and pray and seek God that there would also be fulfillment of what God has in store for us as, as if and as we live in this discipleship and this holiness living. In my ministry, I have been so richly blessed. I'm in a denomination that believes in holiness. We need to pray for our General Assembly this year. We have two different general superintendents that have held the line on holiness that are retiring and resigning just because when you reach 70, the manual desires that you don't keep doing that. And so we are going to be asking you to be praying and fasting that God would send us workers into the field and new general superintendents, what, regardless of degree, that say it is holiness that we hold on to and the word of God that we hold on to. The United Methodist Church has hit a schism, and out of that has come the global Methodist Church based on the main thing of the Word of God. The Word of God says we are to live a holiness life, and from that, the manifestations that they are speaking out against that the United Methodist Church has gone to. And so we need to pray that God the Holy Spirit would rise us up to new general superintendents that will stay the mark and bring us back into that line even more so. I know it's not popular a lot of times to say that. I know it's not popular a lot of times to preach that, but I also know it's very biblical, and so that's what we will do. I've been very blessed to be all around this world, and I am going to tell you I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. In 1995, I went to South Africa that was supposed to be a work and witness trip that ended up going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for 11 and a half years. We did church planting, we did nursing, which opened the door. Because when you have another skill that other countries can use, they'll bring you in and then you can get away with some things. And I mean that very carefully. We, have, we are in over 164 world areas and our missions president can tell you that. And there are some we simply cannot, be, know, uh, we cannot tell where we're at because of the situations, but we are still there. And I praise God for it. God has let me see him move in, move with my life, and not always explainable, sometimes not pleasant, and in, in the immediate, but he has brought good times from that, and I praise God for that. In Africa, I have seen lions way up too close and too personal. I have seen Zulu and Kosa tribesmen. I have been involved in some things that I had to use some defensive mechanisms because the lions were coming too close. But I have seen it, and it is beautiful. I have seen things that you can now see on the internet, but not that personal, and yet I have, and I am blessed. In America, I have been from the Appalachians to the Northeast, from the Upper Midwest to the Lower Midwest, from the South to the Far West, and everything in between, and I'm still from Kentucky. And y'all going to get used to this Kentucky drawl until I get it a little more sanctified or something. I'm not sure. God has blessed me richly. I have been able to be one of two people that I know of that has been a chef that feeds people, a nurse that helps heal people, and a minister of the gospel called to preach the gospel to people. I'm not worthy. I must tell you, though, my heart as we start a new history in this church is this. My call is not to cook. I do it. 
I can cook a filet mignon and a loin that will make your water, your mouth water so fast that it'll, it'll melt your eyeballs. It's so good. That's Kentuckian. Um, but my call is not to cook. It is not to be a nurse or I would be one. My call is to preach the gospel. When I was ordained and even before, when I was called, 1 Corinthians 9, 16 was my motivational, my calling verse, and it goes like this. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for I am under compulsion. And woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Here is my plea for you as we set the tone for the next X number of years. And my prayer to God, that through my life, my speech, I pray that God would always lead people to him. That I would keep him the center of my life. And that he would anoint me to preach the gospel in ways that he calls me to. John Wesley once stated this, the world is my mission field. Trumbull County is now my mission field. Champion is now my mission field. Warren is now my mission field and from there beyond. When I was here before, I shared with you, I would pray that we would not be the worst kept secret, the best kept secret, but the unkept secret in this community and beyond. I am blessed. I do not know why, uh, what each one of you here is gifted at, but I am convinced of this. God gives you a call, a gift, and talents. Now let me define that very, 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 very briefly with you. God calls you to himself and to certain things. He gives you gifts that are spiritual gifts that are outlined in the scripture, administration, helps, preaching, teaching, encouragement, and on and on. And your talent is how you are able to use that gift to the fullest and greatest extent of what God is using you and wants to use you for. I will tell you this also, it's exhausting work. The average pastor just in ministry spends, if he's not working by vocational, 50 to 60 hours a week, minimum. If he's working, he's spending 20 to 30 hours a week beyond that. It's exhausting. The leadership team, otherwise known as the board, spend countless hours. David and his team have spent I don't know how many hours, and I'm glad I don't have to pay him even minimum wage for all that you folks have empowered them to do, and they have done for the church, which is one of the most beautiful churches I've ever been in. Let me share that with you. And for the Parsons, and we are grateful. But we all have something. Discipleship. We use those things for the Great Commission fulfillment. We use those things that God would use us to bring others to people. Whether it's at the gas station and sharing Jesus or whatever grocery stores you have around here. I haven't found them all yet, but that's okay. I promise you, I will. I know you've got Aldi's. I'm thanking Jesus. You don't have Costco. I almost didn't accept. No, I didn't say that. Go on, go on, go on. You got Sam's Club, which is a little less value, but it's still a lot closer. And for gasoline, we'll go there. So anyway, I'm, I was going to make a comment. I'm going to leave it alone. But that brings me to the theme. This same call to all, this same call to discipleship and Holy Spirit living is, to be, is done to be revival in our hearts, for our hearts, through our hearts, with our hearts, and from our hearts. As I look out across the landscape of today, I am grateful. As I look out across the time from here on, my prayer, my dream, my hope, my brokenness is that God the Holy Spirit would bring revival in us, with us, from us, and through us, that we would be revival in this town. 
and beyond. I know that there are folks who do not live in Champion. I know there are folks that come here that do not live in Warren. That means you can be revival wherever you are, even if you have just a cup of coffee. Pardon me, coffee. To sit down with someone at your dinner table and just have them over and then at the close say, how can we pray for you? That plants the seed. That's pre-evangelism. For years we used to define revival as the series of services in the church where we heard that it was services, a time of coming together. I think we need to get back to that, and with God's grace and help and wisdom and finances, we will get back to that. I know that you've not had a scheduled service of revival for many years, and I want us to pray and fast and believe that we do have that. And we will be working with our leadership uh, team for that. But we've had a, a wrong concept of what is revival. Let me give you a biblical definition of revival. Revival is the holy move of our holy God to make his unholy versus way too comfortable church into a holy people. We have records of it in scripture. The children of God were called back to worship of God, obedience to God, and confession of their sins against God. And God came, he forgave, and he restored it. The Gentile church, the church of Acts, was formed because people there were not following the Messiah. And then he moved through the Gentile church, and the Gentile church was formed. From there, the New Testament church, Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude wrote to and we have who we have and what we have today because they were faithful. Let me tell you this, they never had a big church to begin with. Very few of the churches ever really grew in numbers, but look at the impact thousands and thousands of years later. And finally, the grass great awakening is spoken of in Revelation 14:4 as the first fruits for God and the Lamb who follow the teachings of Jesus who have stayed pure from moral failure or have returned to him or come to him away from failure, all of whom were used by God to bring revival in the last days to an evil, decadent, and pervasive society. We surely have that today. In culture, we've had great awakenings from the dark ages. We've had many heroes. We've had the first great awakening, the emergence of the American Anglo-Evangelicalism, i.e. big long phrase for saying we had revival in America. We had the evangelical revival that swept the United Kingdom and turned it away from the region of horrific downward sinful spiral back to God. John Wesley was one of them, George Whitfield, and many others. Jonathan Edwards. Asbury Revival has had three great revivals in its history, though many others, in the 50s and the 70s and then here recently. I'm a byproduct of the one in the 70s. Here recently, it was not about the preacher. It was not about the preaching. It was about people coming and just simply praising God, confessing what they were doing and falling on an altar of prayer. It didn't need to be a person preaching because God the Holy Spirit did the preaching. There have been great revival movements and occurrences that have also been present in our land. As I have studied any and all revivals, we must ask this question, do you, do I, do we really and truly 
desire revival for us at the expense of whatever it takes. There's a song that says, there's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree. It's not in the notes, don't worry about it. It whispers, draw closer to me. Let me leave this world far behind. There's new heights to climb and a new place in me you will find. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. Are we? Am I? Are you? That's really the question of the hour today. Are we willing to do whatever it takes that God the Holy Spirit would so infill us in such a new way that we could not help but speak Jesus to others? I want to give you my sermon in a sentence, and it is this. If, then. If, then. Our text this morning is found in Psalms 18, or I mean, sorry, Psalms 80, verse 18b, and it says something like this, depending on your translation, revive us and we will call on your name. We won't find our own solutions, we won't look for our own uh, thoughts, we won't come to our own conclusions, we will call on your name and depend on you, even if it looks like it's utter failure, because when God is totally bended on, he comes through. Look at what happened last night. As a small example, Satan is angry, and he knows something could very well and is about to break forth here. He may be the prince of the power of this air, but God is still the creator. And at 0422, and I have it here in my phone, at 0422, the power came back on in the parsonage because my phone went off, and it left me a little beep. God was in control, and he still is. God is in control of the issues with the elevator. God is in control with the issues of the roof. God is still in control. When Satan fights, God still comes through and is in control. How do we get there? What is the biblical basis for revival? What is our GPS? Here's our study text. You've heard it before. I know Pastor Jamie preached about it, and I'm going to do it again. This is a verse that has resonated throughout the times of the church at large. And I think in some ways, depending on who, who, which, which uh, translation, you could probably quote it. But I want to look at Second Chronicles 7, 14. If, you get that first word? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, did you get that word? Then, if, then. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Point one, if my people who are called by my name. What's your identity? What's my identity? What's our identity? We must have a holy identity of the called people of God and being the people of God. Point one, if my people. Point A. Romans 3, 23, folks, all of us have sinned. You, me, 
all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've already been dealing with some people and looking at some businesses and connecting with some people in the community that have said some very horrible stories of where God has brought them back to Jesus from. There are many people I worked in a prison, not as an inmate, but as a nurse. I thought I'd better clarify that one real quick. That I know what they did, and they confess they did it. And folks, you do not even want to know. I don't mean robbery only, but just some horrific things. And yet they say, I, people may not believe me, but when I die, I know I'll see Jesus. I was wrong. I was horrible. And they told me what they did, and they said, but God forgave me. Folks, if God can, and since God can bring people like that and so many others back from the brink of hell, what can he do with us, in us, from us, and through us? All of us have sinned. You, I, we've all sinned. Point two is that every person who has ever breathed has also fallen short. It's not just sinning, it's falling short of his glory. What glory do you seek? When we do something, is it for his glory? His glory? We are humans, therefore we are short, but yet still, all of sin and fallen short of his glory. What's our identity? A sinner still, short of the glory still, or saved by grace through the washing of his blood by Jesus Christ? Point B is this, Romans 6.23, in our holy identity, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, my sin, your sin, our sin put Jesus on the cross so that he would die so that we would not have to. The wages of sin is death. If we do not confess our sins, we will find ourselves in a devil's hell for eternity. That's spiritual death as well. The value of a man's soul is of such in great importance. Your soul, my soul, everyone's soul, the whole world's soul. The value of a man's soul is of such importance that the gates of hell have come against it, but the blood of Jesus has come to redeem it. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I like it. Kind of wish I'd thought of it, but he thought of it first. But the gift of God is eternal life. The pardon, the forgiveness, the eternal life. The eternal son, the one who can make us children of the living God. No longer sinners. No longer short, but saved by grace. What's your identity? What's my identity? Are we sitting here and know the West words? Are we sitting here and know the, the, the message of what is said in Bible? Or are we sitting here knowing and dwelling and living in the reality of a holy identity? Point C is this, John 3, 16 and 17. You know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world but that the world through him would not would uh, not perish but have everlasting life through him be saved that's eternal election he elected all of us to have that opportunity have that option have that revelation and have that choice God sent him to give us everlasting life God sent him to redeem us God sent him his only son for life and not separation, and in heaven with Jesus forever. Point D is this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, we, he is faithful, he is just, he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, we must confess before we can be cleansed. 
Brokenness and conviction lead to confession. Confession must be about our sins and not because of what he or she did. I am not saying that there are not incredible ramifications of what people have done to some people. Remember, I did work in a prison. I know the ramifications and the destruction of lives that those men did. But we have to confess our sins. And I'm working on a message of forgiveness, perhaps the Sunday after Easter, and you will want to be here. We have taught forgiveness perhaps somewhat errantly and just unexpectedly unholy in a way. Forgiveness as a foretaste does not mean we say it didn't happen. And forgiveness does not say, oh, that's okay. But forgiveness is different and defined by Jesus. If you confess, then we release him to Jesus. What's our identity? Are we truly identified with Jesus? Point two is this. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and will humble themselves. From a Hebrew word meaning this. Brokenness. No longer being the focus. Matthew 23, 12, point A. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be heard. I don't have to be the focus. I don't have to be right. Karen and I know a pastor in another state from which I don't, would not say it's Minnesota. That has to be heard, has to be seen, has to be right. Folks, that's not humility. I'm not going to call him by name. I'm not going to be prejudging, but I'm just going to tell you, I don't have to be right. That's why we're refocusing the whole thing of a ministry team, the leadership team, and not just a board and a pastor. Because I think as we go forward as a team, look in the upper room, they went forward as a team, and the world has been changed forevermore. And let me tell you something else. There are those who say women should not be in ministry. Where do you get that in Acts chapter 1 and 2? And Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and on. Where do you get that out of Joel 2? In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. God uses all of us regardless of gender. He knew who he made and he knew that he made you women and he still wants to use you in ministry. And he calls men to be leaders as well. Godly humility is no longer needing to be recognized. Godly humility is not saying I'm the focus. Godly humility is to step behind the person of Jesus and only to have desire to see him and him seen in us and through us and not me. And we do it because we love Jesus, not because it's the thing to do and it's my job. What's the focus? Do we have an identity? Do we have a humility? Point B is this, Deuteronomy 8.12. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you through the wilderness these 40 years. Why? So that he might humble you with testing. Know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Have, you, have we felt led but humbled in the times of God leading? I got to tell you, there's been a lot of losses in people's lives, including mine. I'm not oblivious to it. 2015, I held my late wife as she was dying. I knew I was called to ministry. So yeah, I've been married more than once, just to let you know. 
I couldn't bring her back. She was on a vent for a week. We coded Palm Sunday. What does that mean she died? She died Easter Sunday and went to be with Jesus. That's tough. I don't know what you have faced, and I know that it's not always easy, but I'm going to tell you this. Through the humility of brokenness in God leading, God still has glory for you. And now my late wife is no longer suffering. I don't know what you've been through, but I know this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Holy humility, regardless of what it costs, will I seek him? That's revival. Am I willing to pay the price regardless of what it takes that revival will occur in me? That it will flow from me. Micah 6, 8, point C, has, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, me, in other words, me, you, us, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We have a command, walk humbly. Not I, but Christ. We have a qualification, it is good in the sight of God. And we have a pairing, holy humility goes hand in hand with the justice, the kindness, and the holy walk with God, i.e. discipleship. Holiness living. Holy identity. Revival. What's the focus? Does it come and sit in your pew because that's where you normally sit? Does it come to be part of a great group of people and that's phenomenal? The koinonia, binding together, that's phenomenal, that's great. Or is it to be about Jesus? Point one was holy identity, point two was holy humility, and point three is this. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, A, and pray, and pray. Seeking after the presence of God in the midst of us, seeking after the purpose of God. Not just his presence, but what is his purpose? Seeking after the power of God within us. That basically, folks, is holiness. Not I, but Christ. Seeking after the personification of God from us, through us, through his Holy Spirit. Point B, and seek my face. Not just pray, but seek my face. His face, his will. His face, his revelation. His face, his way. His face, his outpouring. His revival. His face. If we are to have revival in, with, among, and from us, then we must be the people of prayer and seeking and I would even throw in fasting. There has never been a revival in any landscape, in any culture, even with Wesley and Spurgeon and all of the others that I mentioned previously, unless there had been, and because there had been, prayer, intense prayer, continued prayer, ongoing prayer, and broken prayer for many, many, many hours, days, weeks, even months. On Wednesday night here, we have a time of prayer. Nowhere in the scripture will you find this, that it has to be vocal. 
God says he understands the groanings and moanings of the heart. My grandmother was one of the most praying saints I ever met, but many times, most of the time, she would just be sitting at a table, kneeling at her bed when she could kneel, and then sitting at her table even after that when she couldn't, or walking through her house when she couldn't, and just weeping before God and praying to God, and you didn't hear one single word. One of the poorest women I have ever, poorest people, let alone women, I have ever known. But pastors came to her so that she would pray over them. She left a legacy of praying. And you didn't go see Georgie Wilson and plan to be there 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes and leave. You went and you knew you were going to be there two hours. There was going to be coffee, there was going to be talking, and then there was going to be praying. You see, I can't help myself. I come from good stock. Point one, holy identity. Point two, holy humility. Point three, holy prayer and holy seeking. And point four is this, and turn from their wicked ways. Hebrews 12, one is A. Therefore, since we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, i.e., the cloud of witnesses shows us that this walk of faith and this walk of discipleship and this walk of seeking holiness and this walk that creates revival does actually work. Let us also lay aside every weight, every sin that, so, that clings to us so closely. This life of faith, this life of being as people, this life of being called, let us join them for they are our witness. This life of faith, this life of being his people, this life of being called and known and identified by his name in humility, in seeking, in prayer, and, fa and fasting even, demands we lay aside every weight and sin that can ensnare. I'm going to share something with you that there are people who have not agreed, but that's okay. In the Greek, there are two different words, sin is one word and weight is another word. The weights will lead to sin if we delve into them. Sin is a weight, but every weight is not sin. A weight is not sin, but that which often leads to feeling the need or to experience something. In this area, there's a lot of things with addictions. What that does is stimulate what we call the amygdala and the dopamine release in the brain. It goes back to brain and behavior. When the, when the amygdala gets inflated and it expands, boy, this makes me feel good. I'm going to like this, and I keep having to do it to like it. And the dopamine is released, and thereby it makes me want to have to do it and do it and do it and do it. And when it releases just so much, then you are instantly addicted until God breaks it. Anybody hear anything about speed? Cocaine? Heroin? How about alcohol? How about immoral, pornography, prostitution? My thing is let's deal with the, with the addiction, but let's deal with the reason for the addiction and get them released to Jesus and have him break that power. I cannot do it, but I know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, point B, God offered this discipleship in Genesis 3, 15. What happened? You may remember the story well. God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. Genesis 2, God created man and woman in a perfect world, nothing sin, nothing there. But in Genesis 3, 15, 
and a little bit before, Satan comes to them to deceive them and leads Adam to make a decision to take a bite of an apple and take an apple or some kind of a fruit, it just says, and give it to his wife. And it took a combination of a man who didn't know when to keep his big mouth shut and a woman who didn't know a line when she heard one. I say that a little bit and funny, but it's not. Satan deceives us with nice, nice words. And Satan deceives us with nice attractions. Jesus finished this life of discipleship that God authored in Genesis 3.15 because from that point, I will send my son. It will bruise his heel, but it will bruise your head. And Jesus finished the discipleship and holiness in his earthly ministry and in sending the Holy Spirit. The beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. What are we in? Then it was the end of the beginning because Jesus died and then rose again and was victorious. And now we are in the beginning of the end for the last days. Our faith was solidified when as if we become humble ourselves, we seek his face, we pray, and we acknowledge our sin. I've got news for you folks. All of us have something that we can struggle with and we do. Are we broken by it? Are we humbled by it? Do we seek God for it? Because you see, folks, we're going to come to a conclusion here pretty quick. That's what it's going to take for revival. And I don't care what it takes. I want God. I want God the Holy Spirit to come down on this place. I want God the Holy Spirit to so fill this place so that when people walk in this building, they know they are in the presence of God Almighty. In the New Testament sense, the sanctuary is the holy of holies for the sanctuary of, or for the church of God, the building of God. And when we come in here, I want us to be so broken by who is not here that from the rest of the week we go out to try to fill, who, fill it with those who did not come. Yes, there will be people who will say, I am not coming. But that's when we bro are broken before God and fall on our knees before God to pray them in, not just invite them in. When we know people are going through tough stuff in their lives, even within the body of Christ, are we broken? We've got someone here studying for his PhD, and buddy, you can have it. I was sharing with him earlier that in a church that Karen and I worked at as an associate pastor, we had a pastor who had three earned doctorate degrees, and he had to brag about it. He had uh, one theology and two something else's, and I don't know, and they were, of course, the greatest in the world and he would get up and he would put his name uh, the, uh, the name of the, the sermon then his name and he would put PhD 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 and I got up a few weeks later and I put FDD fiddle DD <laughs> brother you can have the PhD Karen's got one I look up to see the bottom of her shoes and you can have it but you see that's what he is called what she is called to support him doing. And that's what they are going to use their lives through to tell people of Jesus. Are we doing that? What's our identity? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Being children of God, called by the name of God? What's our focus? Are we humble enough to let and keep with Jesus? What is our purpose? Prayer and confession? Can we understand 
that the holy God desires a holy people for his holy spirit to W-H-O-L-L-Y self. So much that there is an ongoing sense and spirit of holy revival in, with, for, among, and through us. If, then, if we will, then he will. There's a song that is written. I'd like to tell you I know the guy, but I know him too well. He's the one that wrote it. When we were here before, we sang a song, uh, I'm ordained to speak the name of Jesus. I'm ordained to tell the story of the cross. I'm ordained to tell the blessed story. I am ordained to tell how much it costs. I am ordained. Today is a different song. It's called Available. Available. Lord, I'm available to do whatever you would have me do. Available, Lord, I'm available to speak as you would speak, to be what you would be, to do whatever you would have me do. I'm available to you, my Lord, to go where you would go. I'm available to you, my Lord, the path to others show. I'm available to you, my Lord, with everything I am, I'm available to you, my Lord, to do all that I can. Join with me if you can. Available. Lord, I'm available to do whatever you would have me do. If that's where we want to be. I'm going to open these altars. It doesn't mean you're not doing it. If you can't get down here, God knows your kneecaps. But I'm going to ask everyone who can. In our first service together, as an affirmation of faith and as a recommitment to God, whatever, we want and need revival in me first. Start it now in me. After this, we're going to have communion. I think it's appropriate that we surrender ourselves in a new way before we have communion. And I'm going to ask us all to do that as well. If you need to sit on the pews, you know, God's not surprised. It's okay. As we are here together today, 
as we are seeking God today, I want us to be surrendering to God anew. And ask us that we would do that. Not because we want to go forward and have great things for us, but we want to see God move and glorify Him. If my people, which are called by name, my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal from, hear from heaven and I will heal their land. You may remember that we started with the verse in Psalms, Revive us, O Lord, and let us hear from you. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.